All right, welcome back to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters. It's great to be with you guys. And today I have an episode um, with a guy named Greg Sloan from Barnes Bullets. Now, you may not have heard of Greg, um, but uh, I just recently started working with Barnes. Actually, I shot Barnes Bullets all uh, during the season one uh, filming, um, which is going to be launching soon, as I've stated before, on Sportsman Channel. But I shot Barnes Bullets all year, not because I was working with them or sponsored by them or anything like that, just because I wanted some quality ammunition and I wanted to shoot a, a copper mono bullet. And so I landed on Barnes. My gun shot uh, their ammunition very well. And um, I had excellent success with their bullets, uh, both in 300 Win Mag and 6.5 Creedmoor this year. Um, I was able to take, I think, let's see, two antelope, two mule deer, and a coos deer, uh, and a coyote. And every single one of those animals, except for one, dropped in its tracks, didn't move at all, and the one that did move, uh, it was about a 450 yard shot, and it ran about 10 feet and died. So I'm also looking forward to getting them out here on my bear hunt, which I'm about to leave for. as this is coming out, I will probably be in the backcountry on my bear hunt. Um, things are kind of crazy right now. I'm getting everything packed and ready to go. But um, so if you're listening to this and uh, it's between May 14th and May 24th, um, go ahead and uh, send up a prayer for me that we have success on our bear hunt. Um, but it's going to be fun either way. But in this episode, you know, we talk a little bit about ballistics, a little bit about Barnes and kind of the history of the company and what Greg does there. He's a ballistics engineer or technician. Now he's kind of a manager, but that's where he started at Barnes. Um, and another kind of main theme of this podcast is uh, muzzle loading, because um, as you may or may not have heard or whatever, um, I did draw a really good muzzleloader elk tag. Um, in New Mexico. Um, it was a very uh, small chance of drawing that, but I was blessed and drew that tag. So I've kind of uh, been doing a muzzle loading deep dive. And so I wanted to get Greg on, talk about ballistics, talk about load development for a muzzle loader, bullet choice, um, and all that good stuff. So if you're into ballistics um, or muzzle loading, especially, you really like this episode. Um, so as always, please share with your friends, please subscribe, please leave me a rating, a review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. All that stuff is super helpful as I continue to grow. And again, be on the lookout for the launch of the Hunter's Quest TV show, which is going to be starting uh, the last week of June. Um, and we have four airings per week, but the easiest one to catch probably will be Saturday at noon. So uh, that'd be noon Eastern time. So um, definitely check out the show. And I appreciate your support, and we'll see you on the next one. All right, guys, welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters, and I'm joined today by Greg Sloan from Barnes Bullets. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, man. So you are in, I know you're in Utah. Where in Utah are you guys? Uh, Barnes is located in Mona, Utah. Uh, okay. It's kind of central, kind of right in the middle of the state, more or less. Okay. Is that where you are based as well, I'm assuming? Yeah, I live uh, just south of here, um, just kind of a little, just, uh, little town called Fountain Green, so just up the canyon. Um, okay. It's about 6,000 feet, so 
pretty nice. fortunate to live in a cool place, just a small rural area. Um, you know, not a lot of people around, so get to go up and play in the mountains. And yeah. Hunt and do all the fun outdoor stuff that we all enjoy. So. Yeah, man. So are you guys still pretty buried in snow out there, or how's that situation? You know, it's it's been a crazy winter, uh, which is great. We've needed it. But, yeah, it's it's finally turning into spring, so now it's all about the the fear and issues of flooding and all that snow melt coming down and yeah. rivers overflowing and um, snow's finally gone at my house in the last couple of weeks, but uh, now it's okay. still up on the mountains for sure. We still got a ton of snow up high, um, but that's all. It's getting pretty warm the last couple of days. We've had some, some warmer days this week and hitting even 80 degrees. So it's, it's coming down fast. Nice man. So um, you say you needed it. Is that because of it was dry or why do you say that? Yeah. Yeah, we've been in a drought. Um, it's been pretty pretty severe for a while, and so this we've actually had record um, record snow year for snowpack and water content, which is great. Um, all the way back to you know as long as they've been recording it um, in, in current methods, at least. Yeah. Um, so really good snow year, um, which Utah totally relies on the snowpack for all of its water. Okay. Um, you know, and obviously it affects the wildlife, you know, as well as you know the population here and. Yeah, a lot of these small towns are based off of springs or you know flow from the snowpack coming down off the mountains. So, yeah, yeah, I, I know there's like all this you know doom and gloom going around right now about winter kill and all this stuff like that. But um, like you said, I think a lot of the West needed that moisture, and while it may have done some damage, I think probably in the long term it might be a good thing. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. No, I agree. I mean, there the areas I hunt myself. Um, you know, they're on the drier side, kind of more south central southern Utah and it's definitely a drier climate than some of the northern mountains and yeah. You know, any snow we can get definitely makes a big difference, you know, the deer and elk and obviously it's a balance, you know, for sure winter kill is, is definitely a concern. Um depending on the area, the winter range and their access, depending on the, the major interstates and how that affects migration and all that. But it's yeah. I'm positive. I'm looking forward to this year. I think it's gonna be a good year, some good you know, as far as nutrition for them and yeah. what it's going to look like. Sweet. Um, so what, tell me a little about yourself, man. Um, like you born and raised out there, you got a family, just tell me a little about yourself, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm a Utah born, uh, pretty much lived most of my life here. Um, you know, I've traveled around a little bit and spent a little bit of time growing up in a few different places, but more or less born and raised in Utah. Okay. Um, I love it here. Grew up hunting outdoors shooting you know guns pretty much been obsessed since i was as young as could remember um, yeah and i've always loved ballistics you know i've always loved kind of the custom rifles you know accuracy precision got into the long range stuff um and you know i i can remember as a young you know probably young teenager um even before i hand loaded you know my family we always hunted i had dad grandpa uncles everyone hunted in my family something we did we deer hunted we did waterfowl up from game you know elk hunting mm -hmm. um but we all just shot factory ammo uh, that's you know nobody in my family did any hand loading um, or reloading and but it's something that always interests me just different cartridges um you know 10 11 12 years old i would read whatever i could uh reloading manuals you know gun magazines wow. <laughs> uh, yeah Wow. So that that's kind of how I got my start. And Most kids passion. are watching cartoons and you're reading uh, reloading ballistics manuals and stuff. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. 
yeah, I actually joke about it because I uh, kind of my my first uh, interaction with Barnes. Um, I was probably around 12 years old. I actually went and bought a reloading manual. Um, it was actually the number three uh, manual and read it cover to cover. And that's before I ever reloaded. So wow. little did I know at the time, that's kind of where I build my career. So I, I started out uh, fairly young here in the, in the ballistics lab as a lab tech. Um, and I'm actually, I'll be 16 years here this fall. So wow, kind of, uh, I'm married. I have four kids. Okay. Uh, from the ages of um, soon to be eight to 14 years old. Okay. So they, they keep us busy. We love, you know, camping, hunting, riding dirt bikes, side by side, yeah. shooting all that. So it's a, uh, it's been great. I've been able to have a good, good life, build my, my career here and raise yeah. my family in a small town, just, you know, 15, 20 minutes away from work. And we love it. Yeah. It's like, I, uh, I told my son about, I drove from um, basically the Mexico border up to Salt Lake this year because um, I was hunting down there. And then I was going to the expo. And so I had spent a little time in Utah, but that was the most I'd really seen a lot of Utah. And it's such a cool state, like just the geological formations and like everything. It's like so cool. So I was telling my son about it. I was like, yeah, I saw some like you know, br- there's like bright red and bright orange mountains, and like you'll drive by there's like greenish blue mountains, like literally the rocks are greenish blue, and so now like he's obsessed, he's like Dad, I want to go to Utah, and so, <laughs> um, so he's he's like obsessed with Utah for some reason. But have you gotten your uh, kids out uh, out hunting yet? I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We, uh, my oldest, I have two boys and two girls, so my oldest two boys are are kind of that age. Uh, I actually, in Utah, you have to be 12 to hunt a okay. uh, big, big game anyways. And so, you know, they've done some, some waterfowl, uh, some turkey and, and some upland game. Uh, but actually in, uh, when my oldest was 10 years old, um, Arizona does some youth tags, like some doe tags on the Kaibab. We went down and Ooh. hunted, uh, when he was 10 and shot a doe mule there. That was nice. kind of fun. Um, so where I'm a, I'm a gun nut. So it's all about, you know, I got to build a rifle for this occasion and what's the best cartridge and configuration, barrel length, weight, you know, what yeah. scope, all that. So he actually used a little, uh, little custom six mm Creed more that I'd put together 18 inch barrel with a suppressor, uh, with the 95 grain LRX. Um, okay. Did awesome. That's kind of been his go-to, uh, last year we went up to Wyoming hunting antelope, um, with my oldest boy and my wife and my That's dad. That's such a fun hunt. Yeah, we all drew tags and went up and had a good time, and you know, so we we love it. It's it's a family thing for us for sure. Um, yeah, you know, they tag along on somebody draws a good tag, and or whether it's just you know what we have or what we call general season deer, you kind of the normal, you know, go hunt every year type thing. So yeah, um, so you said you do you do a lot of custom stuff, and being like a ballistics expert, I guess you're probably not shooting any like rifles from a factory i'm assuming like pretty much everything you shoot is like you built it right or not yeah a little bit of both i mean for sure uh a lot of the guys here in the lab and and at barns in general you know there's a ton of hunters and, and gun nuts and so everything from just factory guns to stuff we piece together or semi-custom or full custom jobs um i'm more of a bolt action guy you know, cause it's, it's more of hunting base for me and that's yeah. what I like to hunt without here. So 
a lot of stuff just built on like Remington 700 actions with, you know, aftermarket barrels and different stocks and triggers that we choose. And, cool. You know, you kind of can't leave anything alone either. Unfortunately, you think you'd be smart and have everything ready to go. This is what you do for a living, but it's kind of like, there's always something new to try. Some oh, new yeah. cartridge, some new bullet, um, you know, we're, say we develop a new bullet it's got to be well, i got to go build a gun now to go shoot that bullet that kind of thing. <laughs> work work with this new cartridge so it's it's fun so yeah a lot of uh projects that way yeah know, tinkering with different load workup and all right so i gotta work. ask what in your opinion what are some of the best factory rifles out there you know over the years i've shot a ton of them obviously working in the lab um we use a lot we we have everybody's rifles right we don't just have one make um we use a lot of what we call f and c guns uh, when we're doing our ammunition testing and so we want to have a good variety um, and we also do a lot of you know there's been a ton of development projects over the years so we get a lot of good feel for what's out there um and mm-hmm. t- it's improved a lot there's a lot of good options out there um over the years you know savage has been good a good go-to they usually shoot really good mm. um Browning's been doing a ton of cool stuff the last few years. I think they're really paying attention with, you know, what the end user wants. They're looking at, you know, faster twist rates and looking at different configurations, you know, even with standard, you know, run of the mill cartridges, but you know, they do one and eight twist 300 wind mag, for example, mm. uh, which you team it with like one of our 208 green LRX bullets that requires that faster twist. And, you know, you don't have to have the new 300 PRC to shoot that. You can still stick with the wind mag, but go with an eight twist. And so there's some cool stuff there. Um, they're yeah. shooting really good. Weatherby rifles have always been great. Um, in my experience, um, I know Tika's have done well. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, for me personally, a lot of my stuff's not everything, but a lot of it's just a Remington 700 action with a, say like a custom barrel. I've done a lot of the proof carbon stuff lately, or, you know, shilling barrels have been great for me, um, whatever. But yeah, factory rifle wise, it's, there's a lot of good options out there. Yeah. Um, um, you mentioned the carbon barrel. And this is probably like a very novice type question, but, you know, I can only be expert in so many things. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kind of a – I'm not really an expert in anything. I'm sort of just like a jack of all trades. But um, what is – just this is kind of a random question. But what is like – what is the point – I know. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming obviously weight retention and faster cooling, I'm assuming, would be – your main um, reasons for going to the carbon barrel is that what are the reasons that you might go with a carbon barrel? Yeah, that's a lot of it. I mean, for me, it's kind of like, I like the benefits of a a larger diameter barrel. Um, They don't heat up as quick. um, They're stiffer. Um, I like it for an accuracy perspective. And so obviously we hunt out West where a lot of packing it on your back, hiking up a Ridge, you know, I'll hunt anywhere from, 5,000 to, you know, 11,000 foot elevation. And so packing a heavy 15 pound rifle around, just it just doesn't cut it. Yeah. So you go to a super lightweight mountain rifle with a pencil thin barrel and they can shoot really accurate. Um, but generally, you know, if you spend any time with a super lightweight gun, you're lucky to get a three shot group in without that heat yeah. starting to play a factor in it. Mm-hmm. So that's been my thing is just like the benefits of a bull barrel uh, with the, the weight savings. Yeah. Um, it's kind of what I've gone to. Uh, you can definitely build, you know, you can honestly build a lighter gun with a steel barrel. Um, but again, just in my experience, the, the really thin contours to, to have a super lightweight rifle, um, it just, I don't yeah. want to put up with the, the variables to get thrown into it for, 
you know, flyers yeah. and shots start to get thrown out because of heat playing in the role. So for sure, man. Um, okay. So you're into ballistics as a child. And then you said, what, how old are you started at Barnes? Yeah, I was actually, I was 22 years old when I started at Barnes. Okay. I, I got married, um, in the late spring, early summer and, and that, uh, fall that November. So I'd only been married a few months and started at Barnes as a entry level ballistic lab technician. So. Okay. And did you, did you go to school for the stuff or you just went straight into work? Uh, kind of more straight into work. I did do some gunsmithing work. And like I said, it's more of just a background of more of a hobby, just enthusiast, gun, yeah. nut, ballistic, just reading and researching whatever I could on my own. I actually came from a construction background okay. of all things. So I, my, that's kind of what my brothers did. And at the time, um, I was working with them and I'd done framing, finished carpentry, you know, a little bit of concrete and, uh, yeah. When I was married, I actually started in installing garage doors as cool as that. Okay. Sounds, you know, it was like, <laughs> I don't want to do this the rest of my life. And I was still young and newlywed. And it was like, I got to make a big change. I'm either going to have to go, you know, find something I can enjoy or yeah. go to school and, and get a degree in something that's going to work out better for me. And you know, Barnes, was a, Barnes was a Utah company and I happened to see a job posting and it, okay. It worked out so it's i've been able to kind of grow with the company you know when i started almost 16 years ago we were definitely a a lot smaller company we were at a, a different facility um we've grown changed a lot i've been through a lot of change that way but it's been it's been huge for me you know personally and my family to be able to you know it's pretty much all been on the job and it's definitely more of an engineering background what we get into um, yeah working with the ballistic side and product development and kind of the engineering practices that go into you know, design and, you know, there's a lot of diagnostic problem solving on mm -hmm. a day-to-day -day basis. And then I got over the years, got into uh, what we call kind of the special projects tech side, um, had a lot of good mentors and was able to learn a lot on the job and it's kind of worked out and opportunities came up with the management piece. And so I got into managing the ballistics lab. It's probably been, oh, probably eight or nine years ago when I took over that role and, and then the last couple of years started overseeing the R and D department as well. So. Okay. So what is, um, what does a ballistics technician do? Like what's that work like? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a interesting job. It's definitely unique. You know, it's not something you can necessarily go to school for or, or have any outside experience other than understanding basic ballistic theories. Um, you know, Obviously, you've got to understand guns and bullets and ammunition and their interaction. Um, you know, you're, we have a lab uh, and a range here at our facility, indoor range. Everything from a water tank where we function test the bullets. Uh, we have a 25-yard, 100-yard, and 300-yard indoor range, um, all outfitted with ballistic instrumentation, you know, infrared sky screens, chronographs, acoustic targeting, wow. all the pressure and velocity test equipment. Um, soft catch bullet traps, you know, we do ballistics gel. So a lab tech's job day to day, um, kind of the main core is supporting production testing. So as we're manufacturing bullets on the presses and as we are loading ammunition on the ammo loaders, uh, we have to ensure that our settings are correct. Our tooling is correct. Um, on the bullet side, there's a lot that goes into building a copper bullet um, from a tooling perspective. And so as they set up for a specific run of bullets you know given caliber and weight uh, they'll send up startup testing and so we 
have to be ready to go because this is also in a production environment, right? Downtime on a press um, doesn't do well from a business perspective, right? Yeah. Um, if we're not cranking that press up and down, we're not building bullets, we're not making money. And so it's fast paced environment. You know, we've got to be able to do, you know, we're part quality control. Um, we're doing mm-hmm. visual inspections, dimensional inspections, a lot of record keeping, gun maintenance, barrel maintenance, um, cleaning, and then it's developing you know, accuracy loads, function loads. We shoot into the water tank at what we call a high end and a low end velocity for bullet expansion and weight retention. And that simulates an up close shot at a high velocity. And then we do a reduced velocity for a downrange shot, right? Velocity is loss over distance. And so we'll actually download a given cartridge to simulate a downrange shot, depending on the application, the cartridge bullet weight. And we have specific requirements for a bullet expansion and weight retention you know, within those parameters. Okay. And so lab tech's job is he's delivered samples. We load them up, we don't shoot them in the water tank or we shoot them for accuracy. Uh, we shoot them for gel. You know, on the ammo side, we're testing for pressure, velocity, function casually at, at accuracy as well. Um, we also do a lot of development work um, in the, in the ballistics lab. Um, if you're a hand loader or a reloader, I'm sure you've referenced, we talked earlier about a reloading manual. Um, online yeah. load data that Barnes puts out, reloading manuals that we put out. Uh, we develop all that data in the lab as well. So we're okay. responsible for all that load development. Um, we work on new product development um, with R&D. You know, say, okay, we're going to introduce a new a new bullet. You know, whether it's going to be loaded into ammunition or offered as a component or sold to OEMs. Um, you know, we go through the testing and development of that. We look at the function criteria, the accuracy criteria. Um, we test them for you know, all the above. Uh, we work on new product development for ammunition loads, selecting components, trying different propellants. You know, we have very strict and specific design criteria we look at, mm-hmm. you know, both from a safety and reliability standpoint. And so we'll work through that, uh, you know, all the way from hand load, initial hand load, powder screening, all the way through experimental runs, design verification runs, trial and pilot runs, all the way to full production. Okay. And so it's kind of multi- multi-purpose multitask it's a, a multi i guess there's a lot of functions within the department but it's a it can be it can be as engaging or as monotonous as you want it to be because at the end of the day it's a lot of brass prep powdering priming shooting yeah. in the water tank shooting for accuracy and uh you know so it it can be pretty involved though it's cool because you can learn you can learn so much honestly if you come out with the right attitude you know, we've got, we've got a lot of good trained, skilled guys here, yeah. long-term employees. And it's, you can learn something new every day though, whether you've been here two years or, or 15, you know, there's yeah. a lot involved with ballistics and, and bullets and ammunition. So it's, it's enjoyable. Cool, man. Well, yeah. Um, so how I kind of came to shooting barns was, um, I, when I first started, hunting out west my first trip was actually well this is my second trip to alaska my buddy who um is ex navy special warfare his name's ned he's been on the podcast he helped me learn a ton about western hunting and kind of get into it and he's you know being that he's ex-military and just his personality is like you know super into ballistics and like a gun nerd and stuff i think it's interesting i know kind of enough to be dangerous but I said it before, but like the, the count, the place I grew up hunting as a child as a young man, young person, whatever, it was a shotgun and bow only. So like 
I had no exposure to rifles at all. I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'd shoot a twenty two and stuff like that or whatever, but I knew nothing about rifles until, like, about three or four years ago. Um, and I, I was so, like, naive. I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just – like, I knew nothing. I thought you just literally, like, threw on a scope, like, just, you know, cranked it down on there and zeroed it in. And, like, I didn't know anything. Um, and then, like, I uh, – actually, this deer right here on the wall behind me, I missed that deer um, one year because – my, my like my gun my weapon system was so crappy like after i shot and missed it like i like jiggled my scope and it was like moving like <laughs> i didn't even check if it was like screwed down tight and i was like all right like i'm done with this um i gotta figure this out like no more of these kind of misses and so anyway that was the beginning of my journey and then my buddy was we developed a load together for our kodiak trip and um and 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 got a really good load developed and and he turned me on to solid copper bullets i loved the way they performed i love the way they i mean almost every single animal i've shot with a solid copper bullet has just dropped i've had a couple run like short distances and then drop um i've also you know i was shooting out of that same rifle which is a 6.5 creedmoor i shot another deer i know this is just anecdotal but i was shooting with a lead core bullet it left almost no blood trail, and I did find the deer, but it was tough to find, and it was pretty far away. Whereas almost almost every single thing I've shot with a copper bullet has just just crumpled. And I even got from this year um, this guy. I know that you got you see these all the time, probably, but yeah, what's well, not focusing? There we go. That came out of that mule deer that's behind me on the wall. If you're listening, you should go to YouTube and check it out. I still got these perfectly mushroomed copper bullets. And then that came out of my antelope. It's not focusing, but anyway. Um, so, that being said, my I couldn't really rely, especially as components with COVID started getting crazy, I couldn't rely on my buddy to like just be loading me enough ammo to keep me going. And he lived like two hours away. So I was like, I, I want to keep shooting solid copper. Um, and I just, I tried some different options. And uh, the one that just really was performing the best was, was the, um, the Barnes 180 grain, um, I don't know, Vortex, I guess. I don't know what the what you guys call it, but it's this 180 grain solid copper, um, ammo and, uh, yeah, hunted with it all year. Um, took a bunch of nice animals and, um, and been loving it. So that's kind of how I ended up with Barnes and with solid copper, but just past like kind of an anecdotal point of view. Um, why did you guys decide to kind of go all in with the copper bullets and what's kind of the thinking behind that? And as a ballistics guy, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it, it started because Barnes, you know, just kind of quick history. Um, you know, Barnes as a bullet company has been around, you know, for however many years, you know, 90 plus years. I think it is 80 something years. I don't even remember now. I'm trying to do the math in my head real quick. But uh, it's, okay. it's it started as Fred Barnes uh, building heavy for caliber, solid copper jacketed, heavy, pure lead core bullets um kind of what we still offer in what we call the barnes original line you know the idea was deep penetration because of the thick copper jackets and the the heavy for caliber driving deep having higher sectional density and that's kind of where it lived you know for a lot of years i think that's all the way from the 1930s um 
and it kind of changed throughout those years who owned it what it was called where it was you know everything from yeah i mean it was still a small company all around no matter it what primarily everything. hunting bullets or yeah yeah more on the hunting side you know and that was everything from being built in, a, in somebody's garage or basement up to you know somewhat functioning company and it's pretty much where it lived until the 70s um, when randy and connie brooks purchased it and kind of started what what barnes is today and in, it was in the 80s um, when randy brooks you know first developed the the expo and that's kind of what started the solid copper the monolithic expanding uh hunting bullet and that the thought was you know traditional conventional bullets are a lead core with a jacket right it's a jacketed we mm -hmm. call it a cup and core bullet um, it's a drawing a a cup some sort of copper or gilding metal um, and putting a, a lead core inside of it forming it into a bullet shape um, depending and obviously you, you can get into the bonded bullets and that you know there's different ways about designing and manufacturing lead core bullets um, and there's purposes behind all of them and we build plenty of lead core bullets ourselves for certain applications um, but the idea was and they i guess some of the drawbacks are is one lack of penetration uh -huh. um, and and weight retention you know especially on bigger game you know reaching the vitals or having an exit hole or being able to break through bone and reach you know deep whether it's quartering away or shots, you know, it's not a perfectly broadside behind the shoulder shot on thin skin game. Um, he had failures in the field on big game, you know, brown bear, elk, those kind of things where he wanted yeah. to kind of remove that fault of jacket core separation, you know, lack of penetration and weight retention. And so that's what drove him to a monolithic solid. Yeah. Obviously the problem with a solid is you don't have any expansion, right? Uh, it's just going to drive a hole, um, generally they're going to penetrate deep or straight line penetration. Um, but without any expansion or mushrooming, you're not having any upset. It's not creating any wound cavity, right? Um, just whatever permanent cavity is driven through the given diameter of whatever bullet uh, caliber it is. Right. And so by creating a, an internal cavity, um, through what we would call an X punch, we've created, you know, the ability to have an expanding solid is kind of how you can look at it. Um, you get that expansion, that initial expansion and pop and that frontal area to create that wound cavity. The the four pedals on a traditional X bullet, uh, as it's rotating through, uh, will cut and tear tissue and, and muscle and bone. And mm -hmm. then with that mass behind it, because of high weight retention, um, it's going to drive deep, penetrate. Um, you know, and that's kind of the start of the X bullet. Um, and the thought behind the solid copper and it's evolved over the years you know we've added the the relief grooves the tsx grooves um, cutting the grooves onto the shank to reduce bearing surface relief pressure um, reduce fouling um, everything from that to the tipped versions with the ttsx um, and then you know boat tails higher bcs longer o jives um, with the lrx evolution of being able to go you know kind of that long range hunting you know, that's kind of where the, at least in the West um, and elsewhere, but that's been the kind of the, the main focus the last 10, 15 years um, yeah. with technology of guns and scopes and range finders. Um, you know, that's kind of the drive and the demand of where it's gone. And so that's kind of where that solid copper bullet has gone. One of the advantages too is consistent performance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can say we do a lot of testing here, you know, not only with copper bullets, lead bullets, bullets we manufacture ourselves but also competitor bullets and one of the issues with lead 
core bullets, uh, traditional just cup and core bullets, is consistent performance. Um, you know, we use our water tank I mentioned for function testing. Mm-hmm. You know, water is a, a really tough test. Um, we have a good correlation of the water tank to ballistics gel to the field. Um, and the water is is a really good place. It, it works as a good test media. Um, these are all hydraulic-driven cavities. As fluid enters the cavity of a bullet, that's what creates that mushroom and that upset. Obviously, the higher impact velocity, um, the more impact and resistance it has. It's going to create that higher force. Um, but lead core bullets, if we were to go fire you know, 20 bullets in the water tank at the same velocity, you could see everything on, depending on the bullet, I've seen everything from you know, complete jacket core separation to no expansion at all. And that's at the same bullet at the same mm. velocity. Um, there's just not a lot of consistency. Mm. And on top of that, at low velocity, a lot of those bullets are relying on yaw to have any form of upset. You know, there's kind of a misunderstanding. Some people think that lead core bullets can expand better at low velocity. And in some ways that could be true depending on impact um, and tissue, but a lot of, or, or sorry, target media, but a lot of what that bullet's actually doing is when it enters the animal, it eventually yaws, um, it goes sideways. And then having that resistance, that frontal area is what will actually cause that bullet to upset at that point. You know, it's not necessarily being hydraulically driven to expand. It's relying on yaw to expand the low hmm. velocity, which can give inconsistent results, um, lack of penetration. And so the copper bullet, it's what we call a controlled expansion bullet. It has a function window. Um, it's designed through cavity, ogive shape, internal, you know, through different tooling. It has a given cavity design to expand within a function window. Um, we have what we call our high end and our low end. And unfortunately, we can't just make that window, you know, as large as we want. You know, we don't have right. like two, two or 3,000 feet per second to work with here. Uh, you know, I, a magic perfect bullet, you know, that's impossible physically impossible, you know, there's too many um, issues in the way of whether it's material or tooling or design restrictions. Um, we're more around that thousand to 1500 feet per second window, you know, different designs, we can kind of move up or down depending on application cartridge, you know, right. launch velocity intended usage, you know, what's the, you know, some bullets are designed for, you know, zero to 100 yards or, you know, one to 300 yards. Right. Some bullets are obviously designed more for five, six, 700 yards on hunting. And so we kind of look at the, look at the application and we put that function window in that velocity range to fit that cartridge or fit that okay. application. And so we look for high weight retention, large expansion on the top end, and then we still want high weight retention and some expansion at the low end. Okay. Uh, you know, that expansion is going to be linear with that velocity. As the velocity drops, the expansion is going to be less, you know? So right. if you recovered a Barnes bullet at hundred yards, the same bullet at 800 yards, obviously they're going to look different. You're going to have less sure. expansion to low velocity. And that's kind of where that TTSX and LRX come into play. It's being able to have larger expanded diameters at low velocity. And okay. with the higher BCs, you're actually retaining velocity and energy better downrange. So when you impact at say six or 700 yards, you're impacting at a higher velocity than a bullet like a TSX with a lower BC. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, this one that I was showing you earlier, um, I think that was like 180 yards and the deer was, it was a frontal shot. 
focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found this like in the back. I think it was in. It was like in between the hide and uh, muscle on like the back ham or something. And this was a frontal shot too. Both animals died like pretty much instantaneously. Um, and also, you know, I'm assuming that you know, I've I've always heard that like with a lead core bullet, you're gonna get tiny fragments and even like trace amounts of lead in your meat. And just like I've seen um kind of a lot of um you know, meat like meat loss when you when you hit like that shoulder and it just kind of like it just turns into like jelly, like red jelly. Uh I feel like there's less meat loss with the copper bullets and stuff too. Um but um do you do you think that's true about like the small amounts of lead in the meat with lead core bullets and stuff? Yeah, for sure. I've, I, you know, I've experienced that and that that's another advantage for sure. I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're hunting a lot of us for meat. You know, I, we harvest their game. We process it ourselves. We cook it at home. You know, my wife, my kids, we all love it. And so that's part of it. And <laughs> not only meat loss, but nobody, nobody wants to bite into a steak and have Dude. a chunk of lead or anything. In there, in there too. I shot, I shot a whitetail with a, it was a 20 gauge shotgun slug, you know, big, huge piece of lead. And, um, yeah, we were eating, um, and my son was like, and he was a little kid. He was probably like four and we're like, dude, eat. And he's like, I can't. And we're like, just eat. And he's like, I can't. And we like, I reached in his mouth. I pulled out a piece of lead like this big, dude. It was like a dime sized piece of lead. I was like, poor guy. Oh my gosh. And obviously that's a shotgun slug. I mean, it's a little different but you got to think that stuff's going all the way through there even in small amounts that you might not notice um, yeah yeah that's an added benefit for sure is you know it good wounding with these bullets um good penetration but yeah it's going to be more minimal weight loss yeah um and you brought up you know frontal shots different angles you know that's another advantage is we can't always pick our shot perfectly right sometimes mm-hmm. the shot we're presented um you know you don't always have time on your side. The animal could be heading to thick cover or he's going to bolt off and you got to make the decision. Is this good shot or not? If you can have yeah. confidence in that bullet to do its job, reach the vitals, penetrate through, whether that's broadside or frontal or quartering away or to you, mm-hmm. that's another advantage is it's going to work no matter what. It's going to be able to drive through, tear stuff apart on its way, but it's also not, you know, going in and just bombing out, you know, it's not just completely coming apart like a barn right. bullet, just, you know, and yeah. huge temporary cavity because, because lead core bullets, I mean, they can't, there's opportunity or there's advantages in certain, certain shot placements, you know, behind the shoulder, you know, at, at a given velocity, perfectly broadside, you know, they, they can work really well and they can also fail really well too. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. no bullet is going to be perfect for every scenario for sure. No magic magic bullet for every single application at every velocity range for every kind of game. Yeah. You know, but you also don't want to use a, a lightly constructed, you know, thin jacketed bullet for heavy game either, you know, and mm-hmm. then there's kind of the other side of it where people would say, well, you don't need a, a monolithic copper bullet to hunt antelope or, or whitetail or whatever, um, which, you know, I'm not saying it's the only way you're going to kill an animal, um, but right. You can also optimize these bullets because of that function window. You can make it very specific to a given cartridge. Um, you know, I look at examples like a, you know, 350 Legend is a new one that we've developed a, a bullet for and an ammunition, and there is not a better performing bullet. I mean, accuracy, nothing even comes close to to our bullet that 170 grain um, terminal performance. You know, 
from one to 300 yards, you know, awesome expansion, good weight retention, good penetration, huge wound cavity, you know, nothing's coming close. It's not going to hit and just blow apart and not reach the vitals. Um, but it also expands really quick on thin skin game. You know, 300 blackout or 110 green tack TX. Um, that bullet is awesome. It pops right off the bat, huge cavity. You know, we've shot jail at 300 yards out of a suppressed nine inch gun, you know, with 20 inches of penetration and huge cavity. Wow. Um, yeah, I mentioned earlier the hunting antelope in Wyoming this past, this past year. Uh, we've been working on some new stuff. Um, I can't really go into details on just some prototype bullets. And I was using some of those. I had them loaded in a, in a 6.5284. You know, I went up there. My goal was to shoot an antelope at long range with my mm-hmm. 6.5284 with this prototype bullet. And it didn't, I didn't ever get the right buck at the right distance. It just didn't ever present itself. So late in the hunt, my, my boy had killed, my wife had killed, my dad had killed. I was the last one, which was my goal. I wanted all them to make sure they were sure. done, done first. And, so it's kind of like, all right, I got to get this done. We, we can't make another trip up here. And I ended up finding a decent buck, but it was only like 150 yards away. And it was kind of like, oh, you know, this is, this is fine. But I, it wasn't the shot I was looking for, for, because hunting is awesome. And that's, you know, that's why I'm doing it. But at the same time with my job, it's like, well, there's always something new to try, some new, some new bullet to test or cartridge. And so that was, you know, there's an added objective to yeah. that hunt in, in bullet testing as well. And so anyways, I had my little 300 blackout. It's just a little Ruger American bolt gun suppressed with that 110 grain TX. And this buck was just standing there 150 yards, this buck antelope, just frontal. And it's an antelope, you know, they're not, they're not the toughest things to kill. You know, they're pretty thin skinned, but still frontal yeah. shot, put it right in its chest. You know, it took its down and that side recovered that bullet. Like you said, it was all the way penetrated clear through. And it was just in the ham on the off, just under the skin on the offside on that rear mm-hmm. quarter. You know, I mean, that's, pretty awesome performance tore everything up in between yeah awesome expansion good weight retention you know and Dude, was... those frontal shots can be very deadly i don't know I, I think some people are weirded out by it but i mean if you're confident and you're in the right like range um i like them I yeah know. and like i said that's another benefit <laughs> is having that confidence that you know you're going to still reach vitals it's not just going to blow up on its chest you know if it's right. an elk you know you got a bull elk quartering away at three, 400 yards and you, you're going to try to reach that offside shoulder and you want it to penetrate through the vitals on the way. And you're putting it more or less in its guts on this side that can end really bad. If that bullet's mm-hmm. just going to hit and blow apart and it's only yeah. going to go 12 or 13 inches. Exactly. You're going to have a bad experience. Yeah. And good segue. Um, cause I want to talk elk with you a little bit. Um, so I was mentioning to you off air, but, um, for folks listening, I drew a really cool elk tag. It's a muzzleloader tag. Um, and one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to Greg today was because I um, basically have a lot of work ahead of me to develop a load and um, and get comfortable with a muzzleloader, um, which I currently do not even own a muzzleloader. I think I <laughs> told Greg I ordered one like today or yesterday. So... Um, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Um, it's, it's an extra little assignment on my plate, but I'm not complaining cause that's a fun assignment. Um, but, um, I want to talk to you about muzzleloaders. Now you guys make some really great muzzleloader bullets. Um, and so the, the state I'll be hunting is, um, a no optic state, I guess you would say. So, um, you know, 
I don't see I don't really see pushing past 100 125 yards, you know, probably max, I'm assuming with a peep site. Um so but I want to talk to you about um about that and kind of kind of where to start. You already like you already gave me one really good tip which was with that um Blackhorn breech plug. And I know muzzleloading is its own kind of whole thing, so and and you know a lot about guns and stuff, so um Let's just start from the beginning, man. Like, if if guys are wanting to get into muzzle loading, um, where or even just, and we can just use me, just because I need help anyway. <laughs> you know, start with me. Like, where where do I start with um, with developing a load and and different um, charges? I know I'm gonna do a two nine primer. Um, I'm gonna be shooting a CVA Acura and fifty cal. Um, I'm using uh, Blackhorn 209 powder. Other than that, you know, we can start with bullets and then maybe talk about different charges and where to start and and uh, just your advice on that whole thing, man. I'd love to get yeah. into it with you. Yeah, so muzzle loading, um, you know, you mentioned it's it's definitely its own thing. You know, it's a guys can get into it. You know, you can make it as complicated or simple as you want to. Right. Um, I try to keep. And I, try I to keep... just just as a general thing, like just to frame the conversation, like I said, I, I want to be lethal and, you know, do do justice to this hunt and to the animal. And, but at the same time, I'm not like a total, like, like I have friends that like go like <laughs> way hard, like, you know, hard, not, there's nothing wrong with being um, really accurate at long ranges and stuff like that. But at the same time, there's like a level past like what you actually need to be an effective hunter. I don't need to go into that. Like I want to be able to kill an elk in range and not be like I'm not like going out and doing PRS shoots or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, with the one place to start, I guess, is you know there are a lot of different regulations with muzzleloaders. You mentioned already you're hunting a state, the no optic state. Um, I've done a lot of muzzleloader hunting myself um, in Utah deer elk um i've done some muzzleloader hunting in texas on whitetail and hogs and, and some mm-hmm. exotics um you know anything goes down there pretty much you know yeah. where i was hunting yeah. at least versus here growing up we could use what i'll call a modern muzzleloader like an mm-hmm. inline muzzleloader um, but it was a no optic state at that time um, since then it's now an optic state um, so a lot of stuff's changed um, but really start out with where are you going to hunt you know whether that's where you live or where you're traveling to what are the regulations there? You know, there's some states require specific projectiles. Um, and there's limitations right. on that. Some states have primer limitations, you know, propellant yeah. limitations, optic limitations. And so first understand the regulations of where you're going to hunt and what gun you're going to use. Um, once you have that, you know, we'll probably at this for this one, we're just going to assume, you know, from a gun perspective, we can use 209 primers. We can use, you know, black corn powder. We can use modern you know sabotaged muzzleloader bullets um, yeah so with that being said uh, one of the challenges from a bullet manufacturer's perspective when it comes to muzzleloader bullets um, specifically is there's a lot of variation on the gun side mm. uh, with bore, with bore diameter um, and all the barns muzzleloader bullets that we manufacture right now all use a sabot a plastic sabot Mm-hmm. Um, to make full diameter for example our 50 caliber muzzleloader bullets the bullet itself is a 451 diameter okay. uh, 0.451 inch 
and the plastic sabot makes up the difference. Um, so a couple things, when you get that bore variation from gun to gun, manufacturer to manufacturer, you know, one guy, it could load really easy. He can push it down his, his bore with his ramrod, no problem. Um, there's enough resistance and, and kind of interference fit that it seals up and he doesn't have gas blow by or anything like that. And he gets good accuracy and it spins correctly and, and rotates and it's, it's stable and we have good accuracy. Mm -hmm. um, the next guy, he can't even get it down his board. It's so tight. You know, <laughs> yeah. He's beating his ramrod against a tree. and I've had one like that. About to chuck his gun down the hill kind of thing. You know, so there's everything in between. And so because of that, we've had to offer different different options. And that's what kind of we have our, our original expander MZs um, in different diameters and weights. Um, it, we then went to the kind of the Spitfire TMZ, which is more modern tipped uh, boat tail. It's the yellow yellow sabot okay. um, one of the complaints with those the bullet functions great they're accurate um, but in certain guns they were so tight to load you know? mm. now if you have a, a loose board gun no problem um, but some tighter board guns um, customers were having issues loading them and so that led us to develop the tez uh, for easy load and that's the blue sabot um, it's a flat base bullet you know honestly the bullets the actual bullet itself they're they're going to function the same um, they're both tipped versions. They have 250, 290 grain offerings. They are a six pedal design, um, solid okay. copper expanding. Um, unlike our rifle bullets that are four pedal design, these are six pedal design, um, but they work a lot of the same way. High weight retention, um, good expansion, good temporary wound cavity, good permanent wound cavity, uh, good penetration. You know, some of the competitor stuff in muzzleloader specifically, you get really poor weight retention, mm -hmm. which leads to poor penetration. Um, even with some really heavy, you know, some of these soft lead bullets, um, even just plated lead bullets, um, there's no even jacket on some of them. I mean, when they impact, they will flatten out like a pancake, yeah. uh, which depending on shot placement and distance, it might work in your favor. It might not. Right. And so we've always had good experience with ours um, across that everywhere from 20 to, you know, two, 300 yards, depending on the application. Um, and so that TEZ helped them load easier. Um, as muzzleloaders evolved and you brought up the long range stuff, you know, long range for a muzzleloader might be 200 yards. Um, mm -hmm. And so you want to make sure that bullet still expands at lower velocity. You know, your launch velocities are obviously going to be a lot lower on a muzzleloader shooting a 250 grain, you know, 45 cal bullet versus your 30 out six with a 180 grain, right? Right. And so at 200 yards, you might only be going a thousand feet per second. You know, is that bullet even going to expand to that velocity? And so these bullets are designed to expand within the reasonable ranges of a modern muzzleloader. Um, but as different game laws have changed and, and, you know, consumer demands, and we've had different guns come out on the market, you know, years ago, the, the Remington Ultimate Muzzleloader um, kind of started it, where we're going like a super magnum muzzleloader, you know, guns that are built on actual you know, rifle receivers that are built to withstand higher pressures, you mm -hmm. know, those are rated to four, you know, 50 grain, triple seven pellets, you know, 200 wow. grain charges. Yeah. Um, you know, they're looking at 2,400 feet per second muzzle velocity with the 250 grain. Wow. You know, that made it a 300 yard muzzle loader. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so, but one of the challenges is when we went to use our bullets and those types of guns, uh, because of the higher forces and, 
higher spin and, and that much more powder being burned, it'll actually tear those plastics and bolts apart. And so mm. you're getting poor accuracy. And so that led us to develop the Magnum MZ uh, that we now offer. Uh, same bullet as a TEZ, um, but with the green sabot that's a different material and different design gotcha. to withstand those Magnum charges. Um, and that's gotcha. a good one. Um, it's definitely required for something like a Remington Ultimate muzzleloader is the Magnum MZ. Um, but even, you know, like a, say like your, your CVA Paramount now is kind of the same idea. It's a high velocity, higher charge. It's able to stand higher pressures. Um, but I've even used them in just normal, like your, your CVA Acuras or, you know, like TC Encores, where even with like a Magnum rated, like a traditional 150 grain charge um, by pellet, you know, weight. Uh, some of them work really well with the TEZs and the Blue Sabot, but some of them, you know, accuracy wasn't as good. And we switch over to the TMZ with the Green Sabot and yeah. that Sabot holds together better and you get great accuracy and great performance, you know. Okay. So, so if you're if you're gonna kind of be constrained to, I mean, let's just call it 150 yard two. I mean, we can say 200. There's no way I'm taking like an open sight 200 yard shot, but just for whatever, let's say we're constrained to inside 200 yards. I I personally, you know, some guys are like, let's throw as much powder in there as we can get. But you got a couple things in there too. You got you know, with all that recoil, you might be flinching a little bit more. Um, you know, obviously, uh, target acquisition or like, you know, find seeing the animal to see if you hit it or not after the shot. I don't know what the word is there, but, um, and then also, um, I've even heard like, you know, at some of these super high powder charges, um, it might push the accuracy down a little bit because it's just too hot. Um, so my friend who I keep referencing, you know, he's, he's helped me a little bit. He likes to go with like a super light. I think he was going with like a 90 grain charge, like a super light charge, knowing he's going to keep it in, you know, in close range. But I don't know, where would you recommend starting as far as a powder charge? If you are going in with no optic, knowing you're going to be pretty much close range shooting and you want to do the job and, you know, I don't want to be undergunned, but I want to kind of get the lightest charge I can get, I think without sacrificing any performance. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I'll bring up to start with, uh, to keep in mind with muzzleloaders um, and, and powder propellant is when we talk about charge weights, um, it can get a little confusing because it's different from like a rifle hand loading. You know, everything in a reloading manual for rifles or, or even pistol handgun, any metallic centerfire cartridge um, is all done by weight, you know, the recommended charges listed for a given propellant are weight. They'll have a minimum charge in grains and a maximum charge in grains. Um, muzzle loading gets a little more confusing because we start to throw in volumetric charges. Mm -hmm. You know, so you, it's definitely something to bring up is to pay attention if you're new to muzzle loading and you're referencing any sort of load data. Is that charge by weight measured out weight on a scale, or is it by volume? Right. Um, whether you're using and then we also throw in, say, a pelletized form of propellant. You know, that's, we talked about keeping things simple. Um, you know, pellets work good. You know, there's a lot of different brands out there and different powder manufacturings offering muzzleloader propellants and some sort of uh, black powder substitute. Um, you know, triple seven is a good one to use. You know, and I use pellets for a lot of, a lot of years. Um, Pyrodex pellets back in the day. Um, yeah. with my old night, night disc rifle. Yeah, um, me too. Open sights, you know. Um, Pellets work. They're simple. Um, but as I got into it more and started really looking at accuracy, 
Um, I, I switched over to the loose powder. I always tried to stay away from it in muzzleloading because like, I don't want to deal with that out in the field. I yeah. don't want to have this loose powder, but I, I realized that it, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. You, know, you can have you pre-measure, can pre-measure it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Pre-measured charge tubes that are just as yep. easy to dump in as some pellets. Um, but yeah, if I'm a guy starting out and I'm shooting pellets, you know, and I'm not using one of these super magnum muzzleloaders, I'll probably start at just a hundred grains, you know, two pellets, two fifty grain pellets, a hundred grain, see where your accuracy is. You know, your velocity is going to be in range to shoot hundred, 150 yards. Um, you don't want to go extreme and go throw a 150 grain pellet in there and not have any velocity. And, you know, by the time you get to 150 yards, the bullet's not even going to do its job because there's no retained velocity left. Right. Um, but you also don't need to shove 150 grain, you know, 350 grain pellets just because your gun is rated for it. Right. Um, you know, definitely try the, the 100. If I'm if I'm weighing them out uh, with Blackhorn, you're probably going to be more in that like 70 to 80 grain range. Um, I think by volume, I think their max is somewhere around 120 grains by volume. Okay. Uh, you'd have to reference the the Western powder data with the Blackhorn 209. But Blackhorn's a great powder. Not every muzzleloader works with it. It's not compatible with every muzzleloader. Um, depending on the breech and the design and, and the ignition source, um, you can run into issues. But if your gun is is compatible and rated for use with like a Blackhorn 209 propellant, accuracy has been the best I've been able to find across the board. Um, velocity is is great. Low pressure, um, super consistent, low standard deviation, low extreme spreads on velocity. Um, but yeah, with your like your Acura, um, you know, reference the definitely reference the load data from Blackhorn. Um, whether you're doing a volumetric or by weight. Um, but yeah, you don't have to go to that max charge, but keep it within reason too. You know, I mean, you can get so wrapped around it as like, if I'm a rifle hand loader and I look at like precision guys, you know, the, whether it's PRS type guys or F class guys, target shooters, you know, they can get down so many little rabbit holes of, you know, thinking they have to find that exact node as they want to call it with doing ladder tests and all this craziness. <laughs> don't get, don't get caught up in that, you know, you don't need to go try, you know, two or three green adjustments. I would probably go bigger steps, you know, obviously referencing data, staying under a max charge, but maybe I'm going to try, you know, five green increments, you know, mm-hmm. try a group at say 70 greens, try a group at 75 greens, try a group at 80 greens. Look at the accuracy difference. Yeah. You mentioned re- recoil. You will definitely feel the difference. Um, I personally shoot a, a Remington Ultimate muzzleloader the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Um, and they're recommended for triple seven pellets. Um, like I mentioned, it's a super magnum, so it's four pellets. It's 200 grain, um, rated. Wow. Um, but I, I use black horn in it. Um, and so I'm using, you know, I not using this as reference. Don't hold me to it, but I, I use like 110 grains by weight of black horn 209 in that because it's rated for the higher charge. Right. But if I go have my kid shoot a deer with it, like he did at 12 years old, you know, there's a lot of recoil when you start pushing a 250 grain bullet 2,400 feet per second out of a muzzleloader. Yeah. And so I'm backing it off to more of that 90, 95 uh, grain charge on that one. Okay. But yeah, that's, if I'm a guy starting it out, muzzleloading, you know, maybe pellets are the way to start at first just to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. You know, drop, drop 250 grain pellets in or three of them if it's a Magnum 150 grain rated and, you know, try a group. Like I said, the TEZ. If you don't know what your bore is, I brought up, there's a lot of variation in, in bore size. Um, I would just play it safe and say, shoot the T easy. Okay. Uh, that way, you know, it's going to load easy. You're still going to have enough um, seal to have good yeah. accuracy and not any gas blow by. 
And if I'm a guy that I know I'm going to go to that 150 grain charge, um, like in pellet form, um, like a Magnum rated, or obviously with the Remington Ultimate type gun where you have to have, you know, you're going to be hitting a high velocity, then the Magnum MZ is the way to go. Yeah. Okay. As long as it loads, I, I usually just go to that Magnum MZ now, even if I know I'm not going to be doing the highest charge um, outside of a little bit tighter to load than like a TEZ. Um, that's usually my, my recommended go-to. Okay. Um, all right. So, let, okay, I'm going out to the range. I got my bullets. I got everything in place. Um, let's say I'm going to do – let's say I'm going to try out like three different charges. So, you know, I got like 100 grain, 110, 115 or whatever it is uh, that I want to try out that day. Um, what do you recommend as far as um, cleaning procedure – like in between shots and in between groups to get the most consistent results that you can kind of rely on? Yeah, that's a really good question. It can definitely throw in a ton of variables. Um, one, I mean, there's obviously the the piece of keeping your gun in work, good working condition and not letting it get rusted or anything like that. Um, muzzle loaders can be filthy depending on propellant type used. Um, you're going to have to keep them clean. Um, Right off the bat, and I know a lot of guys are guilty of this, don't leave it loaded in the off-season. Mm-hmm. Don't go store it in your closet, your gun safe with a, you know, a charge left in because you didn't fire at the end of your deer hunt. Yeah, um, Definitely store it empty, store it cleaned and oiled. Um, but you're going out to the range, cleaning procedure. Through a lot of experience and testing here, uh, this is kind of what we've come up with. Um, it's, re- it's worked really well for us. Um, the last couple of years, we've kind of dialed it in, and it's what I've used. Um in my own you know, muzzle loading. Um, that's, I'll start with clean gun. I'm going to go out and fire. All right, two question pallets. before you start there. Um, clean gun. Does that mean, cause I've heard, and I've heard both sides on this with center fire rifles. Um, are you running dry patches after cleaning to make sure there's no, I like I've even, one of my friends even will do like acetone and then a dry patch to like, make sure it's like no oil in the barrel. Um, where are you starting out? Are you starting is oil? Do you start with oil in there or how do you do that? Yeah. So what we use, um, you know, any muzzleloader cleaner we use, uh, will work. Um, but I'll definitely run a dry patch. What we use is brake cleaner, just like in an aerosol can spray some brake cleaner down it run a dry patch so yeah that's what i mean by clean clean bore okay. um, and that's where i'm going to start okay you know so you got clean go bore. Back, yeah i mean i go back 20 years ago you know i mentioned the when i started with the what i'll call a modern inline muzzleloader was a night disc and i was literally like spitting on a patch and running it down <laughs> the bore with a ramrod and yeah shooting pyrodex pellets and i mean it worked i killed deer and whatever yeah but, but clean bore you're gonna go out there Shoot your first shot, you know, assuming you're already somewhat sighted in, you know, ignore the first shot. It's a fouling shot. Okay. I'm going to shoot a second shot. Ignore the second shot. It's a fouling shot. Now I'm in a load and I'm going to shoot for record. I'll call it. I'm going to shoot a three shot group or a five shot group if you want to. It's a muzzleloader. I'm going to stick with three shots. So Um, you're not doing any cleaning after those first two shots. No cleaning. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to shoot two shots and then I'm going to shoot my three shot group with that three shot group. I'm going to look at shot placement versus point of aim. And I'm also going to look at dispersion, right? My group size. Yeah. Um, once I'm sighted in and I have my, you know, 
point of aim where I want it, whether that's a hundred yards zero or two inches high at a hundred yards or whatever you have it. Um, I'm going to repeat the process. I'm then going to clean it again. I'm going to obviously, you know, shoot the two shots again. Then I'm going to shoot my three shots for record. Okay. What, and what that, are the first two shots doing? They're fouling the bore. Um, you know, they're, you're, I've noticed with those shots, not always, but more often than not, they're going to be a flyer. They're going to be outside of the group. And if you mm. start following those for scope adjustments or introducing those into your group for dispersion to say, okay, how good is it grouping? You're just adding in those variables okay. and I'm going to remove those out of it and I'm going to hunt the same way. So if I'm shooting, it's right so before my hunt. I'm you're going to go in. with the dirty, you're going to shoot it like before you load it to hunt or what? Yeah. So say it's day before the, the opener of your elk hunt. I'm going to travel out here with a clean gun a uh, day before the hunt. I'm going to go shoot two shots. I'm not going to pay that attention to. So don't clean three. it at all. Yep. I'm going to shoot the two shots from being clean. And at that point, I'm going to load it to go hunt the next morning. Or that morning, I'm going to wake up before I leave camp. I'm going to load it to go hunt. And I'm going to have confidence in that shot that's going to matter of where it's going to land. Interesting. Okay. So I come to the range, clean gun, two shots, don't clean a thing. Then do my three-shot group, no cleaning in between shots. And then I'm going to clean it. Yep. And and when we say clean it, like thoroughly clean, like breech plug, barrel, like even to where you're getting a clean patch coming out, like very clean. Yeah. That's what I do. Um, that's what I do with my ultimate and blackboard. Okay. Now, obviously, somebody could have a process that works for them. You know, you start throwing in different black powder substitutes and different gun makes. You're going to have variables. But at the end of the day, that's a system that's worked really well for us here in okay. the lab. Now, this and is just muzzle loading. Just muzzle loading. Of course, right? of course, right, right. Um, muzzle loader specific. So, um, so you're getting five shots between, and then you're cleaning, and then another another two fouling shots, three shot group clean. Okay, um, and then that's kind of nice because then when you when I get out to my hunt area, I can sort of take two shots, you know, semi practice, and you know, like I said, there might be a flyer in there, but um, kind of get confident, make sure everything's at least clicking, um, and then um, and then go out there with my. See that's that's I'm glad I asked you because I never would have thought to do that. And you're going out there with a gun. You you'd never hunt with a gun unless you've shot it twice, and this is the third shot. That's what I've been doing the last couple of years. Uh, okay, we spent a lot of time. Uh, and again, this is mostly around this Remington Ultimate Muzzle Loader, but I've used the same the same practice, the same protocol with a, a CVA Acura. My younger brother has a CVA Acura. That's what he uses. Um, my dad shoots a TC Encore a muzzle loader. I've done the same practice with those. It's worked well for us. Okay. Move some of those variables out. Um, you know, I used to back in the day. It was I had a clean gun. You know, that's where I started my hunt. Clean gun, and I would go shoot a cap. I'd shoot a primer um, because if I didn't, generally I'm going to have a, a misfire or a hang fire um, just to get all any oil or residue left out of mm -hmm. that that nipple and the breech plug. And then I would load it to go hunt, and that worked. You know, with my night disc back in the day, um, good enough to hunt. And I guess I can reel it back to put it in perspective, right? Like, at least in, in my experience with muzzleloaders, I grew up hunting open sites. That was the regulation in, yeah. in Utah was open sites only. So it was a little simpler. 
it was like, well, can I hit a, you know, vital size target at a hundred yards? I'm good to go. You know, nobody's that capable, generally speaking, to really get that dialed in with open sights with the muzzle loader at a hundred yards. You got to keep it from a practical perspective. For sure. What is what is acceptable accuracy? If I'm mm-hmm. keeping three shots in a vital size target with open sights at hundred yards, I'm calling it good. So this is taken a little to the extreme, but this is also now we throw scopes on it. All of a sudden it's like, well, crap, my muzzle loader sucks. How did I ever kill anything all these years? You know, <laughs> yeah. kind of kind of perspective, but that's what's worked for us. And I, I've just yeah. followed that practice the last little bit with the, you know, regardless of a muzzle loader type. So. Yeah, because like I said, I'm, I'm glad to talk to you about it. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I've talked to guys that are like cleaning between every single shot. And, you know, that stresses me out. I like your method better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there's a lot of guys that do that you know they'll at least run like a, a spit patch between each shot that's what i used to do on on my night way back when but uh that's what i've gone to now and, and the black corner is cleaner too right it's less it's less residue left it's less fouling mm-hmm. and so with your with your black horn 209 propellant um, i think that system will work good for you. yeah because i remember back in the day with with my night disc rifle i used to have I mean, you shot three shots through that thing. You, your ble- breech plug might be completely clogged, or it might be like almost impossible to get a bullet back in. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and you will notice a little bit tougher load force, you know, on shot number three than shot number one. Right. Um, but in my experience, the the grouping that has been there, I've been able to still load shot number three, and then I'm going to clean again and just repeat the process. Cool. All right. Cool, man. Um, well. That is a pretty good start. Um, I might, you know, at some point maybe have you back on. We can like dive deeper into stuff like ballistically and kind of nerd out a little bit. But I think um, that was a good place to start, and um, and we're coming up on the time here. So I don't know. Um, anything else you want to like just add, like uh, kind of in closing? I appreciate you having me on. Like I said I uh, hopefully we covered some things that people find informative and yeah. and interesting, if nothing else. But uh. No, it's, it's, I just love working here. Um, it's a good yeah. company. I guess that's all I'll add. Um, you know, it, it can be a job like any other, no, no sure. doubt, but it's, it's a, it's a good company. There's a lot of passionate people here uh, yeah. that they, they love hunting. They love bullets. They believe in the product. And you know, that's what we try to do every day is put out product that the end user is going to be satisfied in. So hundred percent. And I, like I said, I've, I've been super satisfied with, with my barn stuff and it wasn't like, um, Hey, let me go find a, ammo sponsor it was like hey i need to find some ammo that works for me that i like and then i came and then i shot it all year and it was performed great then i went and came and approached you guys so and i've uh had a great experience with everybody i've talked to over there um and i'm proud to be partnered with you guys awesome no we look forward to it yeah man um all right cool well let's just call it there and then like i said maybe i'll have you back on sometime and we'll kind of nerd out a little bit but i think this is a good a good place to start especially on the muzzleloader side well no that works thank you all right man thanks again